Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the AI for All podcast. I'm Ryan Chacon. With me is my co-host, Neil Sahoda, AI advisor to the UN and one of the founders of AI for Good. Neil, how's it going? Doing all right, Ryan. Just trying to stay dry. We're uh, going through kind of the uh, hellacious set of thunderstorms out here on the West Coast. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about how AI will impact more traditional industries like the insurance industry, like the legal industry. And to discuss this, we have Martin Will, Chief AI Officer at LegalMation. They are a company that is leveraging AI systems to help corporate legal departments and law firms drive efficiency with very straightforward, easily developed uh, and deployed solutions, specifically focused on litigation and dispute resolution workflows. Uh, Martin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me here, uh, Ryan. So let's kick this off by having you give a quick introduction about yourself, uh, LegalMation, kind of what you all are doing, just kind of your background experience. And then I want to kind of pull the thread on um, kind of your role too, because I think it's interesting to learn more about what a chief AI officer actually does. I've been in the language and machine learning space for maybe a good two decades. Um, a lot of that early on in the language technology space, um, then almost a decade around life sciences, and then returning back to the language space, particularly with my work at Alexa, and also being part of the team that uh, built and launched Amazon Translate, so the first neural machine translation service that, that uh, went live on AWS. With that, um, of course, a company like LegalMation is a great fit, and uh, LegalMation specifically is a company that's been around for a couple of years now. They kind of launched the product around 2018, so sometime back, and um, they're refocusing on bringing AI technologies into the legal space, uh, the insurance space. It's very much focused on specific applications like litigation, where uh, we can immediately deploy AI in a meaningful way that directly drives productivity and consistency in our uh, customer organizations. Tell me, um, just regarding your role as chief AI, AI officer there, I know you mentioned that you recently joined um, the company, what is the role predominantly focused on and how does that potentially relate to similar roles in other industries that you may have had exposure to or maybe you have colleagues that are in similar roles, other industries? Because I think this is a new role that a lot of organizations may not have, but as the future kind of progresses, it may be more important to be looking into these AI-specific roles. As a chief AI officer, my focus is really on defining the strategy around AI and machine learning technologies. Um, also driving some form of applied research, experimentation, data science, and then also overseeing how these technologies are incorporated and, and productized with our solution suite. Um, and that kind of is an interesting role because uh, it requires quite a broader skills, which is also represented in my team, right? So my immediate team has both data scientists and uh, legal experts, uh, plus some data engineering skills, right? Because these are all the different aspects that come together here. I'm also playing a little bit the role of a chief data officer, right? So I'm also uh, generally right, responsible for how we manage the different data assets that we collect over time, obviously, and how can we get generate more value out of those. Neil, from your perspective, with the work that you do with a lot of different companies, have you seen this role of chief AI officer or just AI roles in particularly grow in, in different uh, industries that you've associated with? Straightforward answer is yes. I think you're, you're seeing much like we saw with the CRO, Chief Risks Officer, about uh, eight years ago, slowly build up and it's become a core component for a lot of businesses. I think you're seeing the same thing with the Chief AI Officer role. So it's, it's become a core component of strategy. But I think a lot of people have started realizing, or a lot of companies should say have started realizing 
that AI is more than just technology. It's not like a traditional IT project. And because of the training and the, the data and the domain expertise that's required, it's a much different mix. And so as a result, it's, it's getting essentially carve out's not the right word, but I can't think of a better one in terms of functions within a company. And as I'm sure we'll probably explore in this conversation, not just the, the power and the value that, that AI adds to the organization, but some of the, the risk associated, especially liabilities, you know, are, are a paramount concern that need that more dedicated focus. So I, I think five, if we had this conversation in five years, we probably see that CAIO is uh, pretty much the norm at most companies. I'd like to bring this back to kind of the topic and make focus for our conversation today, which is AI's impact on more traditional industries like insurance and the legal space. Can you talk to us about how AI is really impacting those spaces? Because there seems to be a lot of opportunity for automation in those industries. No, it's a good question. And I would kind of um, think about two different categories of work where AI can be deployed. And uh, maybe the first category is really kind of the kind of applications that were consistency is of value to the work. And for example, that's what, what we see a lot, say in, say, in these litigation cases, right? Where if you're an insurance uh, provider, you're a car manufacturer, these cases come in in high quantities, right? And you want to be consistent in how you respond to them. And, but that's an also kind of the opportunity to, to automate and essentially bring in the technology that supports you in streamlining the processes, driving up the consistency, and overall, right, being more successful in the results you achieve working through these cases. Um, the second category, and we actually see a lot of that more covered in the press right now, particularly since ChatGPT came online, right? It's more um, where I'm applying AI as a kind of as a research tool, right? So there's a lot of information I have to process, distill, bring down for a question I have in mind. And the system support to extract that for me, summarize it for me, often even identify what the relevant information is in the first place. And I would say, um, while there have been a lot of advances being made, there are obviously those challenges in how to get these kind of systems to a level of performance that really matches kind of human performance. Mark, I think you're, you're touching upon a really important point, right? That the the accuracy and you know, as good as we get today with you know people doing the work, but there's there seems to be also a disconnect, right? People are worried: is this really going to be as good as people do? today, but then they're also like, that's actually not acceptable, right? They seem to expect the you know, machine to be perfect. And so if it makes small mistake, if it's only right 98% of the time, people worry about that 2%. I mean, especially in an industry where, you know, risk is paramount and legal and insurance, how do you try and kind of reconcile that attitude? It's a good question. And also in the sense that once you introduce technology like ours, you actually get much better insights on say, right, what are the inconsistencies say, across the work you're actually doing in, in, in your company right now? Um, but nevertheless, and, and as you're kind of calling out, right, often when you kind of bring these assistive technologies into uh, the workflow of an expert, right, they will pick up on the specific details of specific cases versus what is really happening at the overall level. And I think risk, right, as, you, as you're talking about, is, is really about looking at, right, an over portfolio of things that are happening, right? Versus every single one of them. And it does seem to be human nature to focus on these uh, um, individual outliers, so to speak. I think 
nevertheless, probably what makes sense and what we are trying to do is a putting humans um, in the right places in the, in the world decision making uh, flow, right? So that ultimately there's some form of accountability built in system and a human self is comfortable with the final output, right? The final outcome, even if a machine has been involved in, in creating that and, and say accelerating, putting that together. Uh, and then as part of that, I think is also, um, and we talked a lot about explainability in the past. Um, the discussion has been a little bit less vocal right now, I think, but still I think explainability is actually a key piece here, right? Key ingredient that, um, the system not only needs to provide an answer, it also needs to help you understand how it got there, right? And by creating this kind of transparency again, right? It helps overcoming that psychological barrier of can I trust this thing now in front of me? Or is it just a complete black box and I have no way of knowing what I'm doing when I press the submit button, so to speak. So I think that transparency and explainability needs to be part of how we roll out these technologies into the industries, uh, in particular when it's about managing risk, right? So that risk and the decision-making and the trade-offs are kind of transparent to the human still uh, carrying the final accountability. Do you feel like that's going to open up the need for different roles within organizations to help with, obviously, when you bring in tools like this, this will allow for certain tasks to be handled and be automated, which requires less need for, for people. But I imagine that because there is still a level of review and a level of oversight that is needed, there's going to potentially be demand for other types of roles or more of a existing role because of uh, a shift in the way things are being done. I would think so. And, and there's a good example. So we recently had a call with a uh, prospective customer. I can't disclose the name here. But one of the conversations in setting up the pilot with them really was them doing an internal assessment of um, exactly these aspects of any AI technology they're bringing into the, the organization, right? Um, to what extent, right, has it been validated? What uh, can be controlled by them? What risks do they expose themselves? So there's, for example, I think a new set of roles really coming around risk management, particularly for intelligent technologies that are being integrated into the workflow. Um, and I could imagine that also the role of a chief AI officer in one of these companies would have a close relationship to these risk management activities. Uh, so there's really a strategic trade-off of how to set this up and, and how we think about ensuring that, uh, say, we meet our compliance requirements and don't put our business at risk. Ultimately. Have you seen certain challenges or hesitations when it comes to the adoption of AI into the legal and insurance space? Like, What are the biggest hesitations these companies have? Um, and I guess, what are the risks associated with using something that is free out there like ChatGPT versus something that you need to pay for and is maybe more targeted and focused on the, your particular industry, um, more verticals. As I mentioned, right, I was kind of earlier thinking about these two different categories of um, technologies that come in. And a lot of what we're doing is kind of selling this first category, right, which is about um, consistency and streamlining an existing workflow. And a lot of the conversations that um, I think we see internally at our customers is um, what is the workflow change that comes out of that for them, right? And suddenly, right, you had, say, groups um, of legal experts working rather independently, right? Suddenly, 
um, they need to align more closely in the responses, in how the documents are structured. Um, and that often then becomes a primary conversation internally, right? Uh, so it's almost more an indirect response to, I'm bringing consistency because I talked about consistency, but now I need to really update my internal way of working around that technology. On the second one, uh, I think that's going to be where the risk management piece, right? And uh, the performance capabilities are still a big question mark, right? Once I go, right, have the signal that's supposed to um, support me in, in my research, and particularly if it's research that goes beyond what a human could even possibly do, right? I mean, I think that's part of what we're doing with these technologies, right? They have been sometimes given access to so much information that no human individually could digest and understand. So how can they actually see if a specific outcome is even represented in a meaningful way in, the, in this body? And so there are definitely a lot needs to be done to drive this explainability, transparency, uh, some way of allowing the humans to work backwards from an out, from an end suggestion, for example, right? and, and at least understand the plausibility of what the machine is really proposing here. Yeah, well, for our audience, if we kind of walk through an example, and since we didn't really talk much about what LegalMation does, maybe we can kind of, Martin, you can share what LegalMation does and kind of walk us through how some of these things factor into the work that you guys actually do. We can just take a, one, of, one of our kind of concrete product offerings, right? So um, say a complaint response workflow. And, um, and you'll see as I talk, it's, it's really an assistive technology in the sense, so what you do as a user, right? You get this uh, document making certain requests to you from, from an outside entity, and you need to create um, a letter that provides a response to all the points raised in that incoming document. And so what our systems do essentially as, as a user, you would upload that incoming document. We perform um, um, first, of course, standard document extraction, but then the next step is a, a deep semantic analysis, right? What is it that it's being talked about in the document? And also doing an analysis, well, what kind of concerns based on how you respond as an organization in the past are probably key to framing your response, right? And then with that, essentially, it becomes a workflow where the system looks at previous way of how the responding letter was structured, right? And what was the content, what was the phrasing, the language. And together, right, with this overall classification of the risk profile and the point that we think are important, cause of action in the legal uh, terminology, right? We put together essentially for each of these requests um, kind of a ranked list of what may be the most meaningful responses and where were they used in the past and what were other attributes maybe that were relevant, in, right? And then as a user, you can review that, you can edit it, you can override what the system is proposing. And then essentially that becomes additional content that goes back in the system ultimately for future work. But also is that essentially uh, the letter that's more or less ready to be converted to PDF and, and sent to a customer if you feel confident in approving that overall document that has created. But you really see, right? So the human is, is very much closely involved in, in making the final call. And also we really try to provide right, the context of why specific, say a specific way of answering here may be preferred to another option, which is still also presented to you kind of on the side as an alternative option. A good example of hybrid intelligence. You know, we always talk about 
on the show that there are things that machines are better than people, but there are things that people are better than machines. And it's the complement of the strengths that really drive this. And so much like we should be treating Gen AI, it sounds like your AI system is kind of doing that first pass and provide some options for then people to consider. In normal work, maybe you can just consider two or three things, or here's you might be able to consider 10 different options or do a deeper risk analysis based on the complaint or the responses. For me, it's an interesting parallel to um, what I experienced in the pure language space, um, localization work maybe two decades ago, right? Because also, kind of starting even the late 80s, I think IBM first, right, started promoting that idea of these translation memories, right, where, again, you brought in this assistive technologies that would still support the human expert, right, the expert translator of my domain expert, right, right, is it, for example, and the European Commission, right, has, is employing a lot of experts who are both translators, but also understand enough about uh, the regulations that they can do meaningful translation work. And incrementally, right, these systems became more capable in how well these suggestions worked to the point, right, where in around 2000, we had reached a point where the bodies that had been compiled out of these systems, these corpora, they became actually the training material for the first generation of statistical machine translation systems, like the kind of technology like a Google Translate at the time. Right? And on one end, right, it, it kind of incrementally found its way into the industry, into the workforce, right? But also, at some point, we reached kind of a point, an inflection point where suddenly new kind of systems were possible because we had, at that point, learned enough about how that domain works. And I could imagine similar things happening here as well, right? Right now, we're still at the point where we need to be very assistive, very closely working with the human, and over time, probably, the systems will learn more. Do you foresee any type of... Um new liabilities coming into the space as the machine and, and the AI handles more of the workload, even though I know we talked about humans being involved, but just is there anything that you guys are looking out for that people have raised concerns about? I think the liability will come in when it the, the machine gets to scope in decision-making that is larger than what a human can even oversee. I think that's really what we need to be uh, concerned with what are the control tools we need to build in that that kind of traceability is, is still given. Uh, particularly in, in these cases where um, it can be rather costly mis mistakes, potentially. I know one thing that people talk about a lot when they're using uh, ChatGPT and other types of um, AI technology and solutions is hallucinations and false facts, things along those lines. How is that influencing things or what have you kind of encountered or how are you kind of going about combating that? To answer, I, I want to go back to what a chat engine and a language large language model really is, right? And, and a large language model at the core, right, is a system that has just been trained on a large body of text. And the training goal was to complete the text, either by adding more words at the end or maybe different variants where you hide some content in the middle and the system needs to essentially guess what were the words that uh, I was hiding and masking out. So what these systems learn is really the patterns of structure of language. Now, of course, in order to do this successfully, right, the system is also kind of implicitly learned quite a bit of how we as humans talk about the world, right? And that kind of gives the language model the power to 
make answers that seem like the language model understands what the world is like. But fundamentally, right, this is not, not what the system does, right? And then in the chat system, what we do on top of that pure language statistic machine, right, we kind of, we call it alignment, right? We kind of nudge the model to give us answers in response to an incoming request that we find useful, right? But now, right, let's go to this, these scenarios, right, where somebody's going with an open-ended questions or doing re legal research against ChatGPT, right? The engine, all it does is creating plausible text, in and that sounds useful in response to a question I put in, right? It doesn't really understand the details of, of, of legal work. And so um, the way to overcome is, and I think that's um, happening quite a bit actually, is that you say, I shouldn't be trans using the language model as a knowledge repository, but rather really as what it is. It, it's a ultimately, it's a, it's a thing that can work with language and translate language, right? This can be changing the style, right? Doing a summarization, doing an extraction, maybe some classification of the text. And the knowledge that is used to generate the output, particularly in, in, in say, a field like ours, right? Which is so factual, um, needs to come from elsewhere, right? And then we see systems where it's either knowledge graph, right? So I have actually an explicit representation of the knowledge elsewhere. And the language model is just used to transform that into something that's uh, consumable by a person. Or the rag type models, right? Where I'm saying, I'm actually having a different repository of documents. This is the information and the knowledge I want to work with. I'm just using the language model again as a translation engine, right? To fuse information together and create a consistent output. And ultimately, it's not surprising, right? These transformers that are underlying all the language models, they were really built for machine translation systems in the beginning, right? The transformer paper was a, was a paper describing how to build a translation engine from, I think, English to French or something. Given the state of things, I mean, what's really next then? I mean, what's the next evolutionary step that's going to occur here? It is probably that we learn how to um, fuse the language part of these AI capabilities um, with adjacent pieces. I mean, one thing we already saw is what, even just going from language to multimodal, right, opened a lot of new capabilities, right? Or e even to the point of um, understanding incoming information, right? So when I can upload a document, say, in, in a chat GPT, right, and I can ask questions, fairly open-ended questions about the document, and it's providing meaningful answers to it, right? That's I think, is a first step of evolution. I think the other part will be now going beyond that extraction and generation capability, adding the reasoning part of it, and kind of really meaningful integrating the structured knowledge with the kind of unstructured language and, and image world. And then also the kind of loop that you find in um, a lot of these kind of models of, of, of consciousness, right? They're quite a bit, right, if you go into, into neurosciences, there's actually some models of how we think intelligent organisms work, right? And that's also the part of, of, of a control mechanism in the right, kind of where do goals come from and how do I compare um, what I'm generating against those goals? And I think once, as these three elements get more and more integrated, I think that's really when we see these uh, more independent assistive technologies come to life. And it's essentially what we see even coming out of the big labs, right? When uh, Meta or an organization like Google is talking about where they're going in, in their research, 
that's exactly what they're doing, right? They're kind of bringing the goal orientation, the task generation, and the extractive and generative pieces in, into common systems. I mean, you can start seeing you start some of that already happening, especially like with like the the image or even video data now. So there's there's a lot of upside. You make this leap to this next step. What's the drawback, or is there one? I mean, one of the jokes I, I saw the other day on a social media was like, "Oh, we're building all these intelligent systems so the machine can focus on on the arts and poetry, right? And humans become the pizza driver that's delivering the food along the way." But I mean, there's some truth to it, right? I mean, because I think surprisingly, these technologies have been most successful in areas that we consider so close to what humanity and, and being human is about, right? The compositional side, the creative side, right? These working with these large bodies of, of, of knowledge. Um, but I also think there's another opportunity, right? Because the, the other opportunity, what humans are really good at is still that connection to the real world, right? And um, so this may be more shift that we see, right? That, right? So some of the things that were considered very important, they just become easier because the system can help us more with that. And the focus of us as humans is really kind of more really living in the real world, right? Because ultimately that's, what this machine is not, right? The machine is still this abstract entity in a box. I also think it's interesting if you think about the benefits for an organization. So somebody listening to this, trying to understand what the value of this is now and into the future for an organization, when you bring an end-to-end platform into, into your organization, you get to not only are you getting more access to data, but you're finding new ways to leverage that data, which I think compounds on itself over time. You're able to also help provide better that data is to be able to be used to provide better decision-making across the organization, especially in this space where we're talking about legal and insurance kind of industries, what the impact those departments have on a wider organization, I think is important to think about. Um, and just generally speaking, you, you get more access to the understanding of what's going on in, in these departments. Um, and I'd love if you kind of expand on how you're seeing that as a big driver in adoption. For, for solutions like this, as opposed to kind of just using maybe something that's free out there, um, something that is more of an end-to-end integrated in to the organization and kind of how this compounds over time. No, it's, it's, it's a good point. And I think what we, what we see is um, that, for example, as, as companies are deploying our solution, working with for some time, um, there's quite a bit of um, insights you can derive, which we can also service with an analytics product that we have. Right, so that actually over time, for example, can understand, say, what are the patterns of cases coming through? And for example, right, it may be a vehicle manufacturer. It's actually quite interesting to see what kind of, right, what these complaints that and issues customers have are actually about, right? And this may inform either a refinement of the current model they have in the market, or I may use it to really... Um, design my next model generation from a very different view on the risk profile that's associated with um, having this product out there in the streets, right? And so I think that's, for, for me, a good example of right how these insights not only help shape work within that legal department in that case, right, but really help inform other parts of the business. Of course, right, legal often is very, very downstream, costly, but the root cause often is much, much elsewhere in the organization. 
You know, I'm, I'm going to ask the crazy question I'm sure a lot of our audience is wondering about and maybe hoping for. Are we looking at a day where it will be an AI robot lawyer that's going to be helping them out? I can say I hope not. I, well, I don't think so, at least not for the foreseeable time. Because um, I think right, this notion of accountability, human accountability is still deeply rooted in our legal framework. Right? So there's still the need that it is really human parties against each other, ultimately, that are standing in front of each other in court. And the robot, I don't think, can be the complete stand in there. But of course, uh, it may, of course, it will, of course, be the case, right, that more and more of the preparatory work and the arguments that are being presented um, are being created with the support of machines. Imagine that process from the vordeering all the way through the entire case with a human jury and robot lawyers. The AI has learned to be very persuasive and, uh, you know, people seem to have some intrinsic level of trust when it comes to the machine. Like, well, it's a machine. It's got to be right. We really appreciate you taking the time. Um, for audience wants to learn more about what you all have going on, what's the best way to reach out and follow up? Probably the best way is you go to our website, legalmation.com. There's also a contact form. I think that's the easiest. Um, I do have a Twitter handle, HMWill. Well, we're excited to get this out to our audience. We really appreciate you taking the time. I think this is the first time we've really dove into kind of the legal and insurance side of things when it comes to the role AI is having, um, all those areas of business and just generally speaking in those industries. So really appreciate it. And uh, uh, thanks for being here and hopefully we'll talk in the future. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Ryan. And Neil, it was great chatting with you in this conversation.